Looks like we got a break in here. There lifts in Watergate. They were there the night of the break in. Do they know anything? Sir, I have met yams with more going on upstairs than those two. Uh, <laughs> I'll take care of it. I've got a way with young people. They trust me. Hello, and welcome to Flashback, American Historians on Movies. I'm Katie Fapp, a doctoral student in American history at the University of Oxford's Rothermere American Institute, and I'm here to explore American history as seen through the lens of America's most popular history maker, Hollywood. Each episode, I'm joined by another historian as we discuss a movie that covers their own field of expertise. Today, I'm joined by Rivers Gambrill to discuss 1999's Dick, director Andrew Fleming's comedy following two teenage girls who find themselves at the center of the Watergate scandal. Rivers is a research fellow at the Rothermere, and she recently co-edited Sports and the American Presidency, from Theodore Roosevelt to Donald Trump, and is currently writing her first book, Political Football, which examines the changing politics of sport during the Nixon and Ford administrations. Like President Nixon, she is also a misguided fan of the Washington football team. Uh, Welcome, Rivers. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's uh, so much fun. Psyched to have you on and talk about this movie, which I never heard about um, until you brought you mentioned it to me. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about it with you today. Yeah, it's definitely become, I guess, a, a sort of a cult classic. Not too I, yeah. many people know about it. <laughs> no, and we can get into that. Um, as I, you know, I kind of been talking about it with people, you know, before the recording. Um, and I say, oh, like we're covering this movie. And they go, I've never heard of that. And I'm like, well, it made $6 million at the box office. So I think that's why. Um, but yeah, so if you just want to take a moment to maybe talk about um, your research more specifically and how it relates to Dick. Yeah, this is actually perfect timing, um, the podcast, because I'm working on a chapter on Watergate for my book, which explores. Oh, hey. Some- Yeah, which explores the way um, that presidents have used sports for political gain, um, specifically focusing on Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford administrations. Um, And I'm coming to you live from Foggy Bottom, only a block away from the Watergate. So that's pretty neat. Right at the heart of the action. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's very inspirational. Um, And recently I've been um, going to the Library of Congress and looking at uh, various files related to Watergate in Nixon's press secretary papers. So this is really good timing. and I love the movie, so I hope you enjoyed it too. Yeah. So how did maybe so just like as I kind of said before, like I never heard of this until you suggested that we cover it. How did you like what is your relationship with this movie? It's, like how did you come across it? It's so weird because I remember being nine or ten years old and seeing it in Blockbuster on the shelf. Okay, because, like a classic, <laughs> yeah, discovery. <laughs> yeah, I'm showing my age now. But um, it's just, it's a really weird cover. I don't know if you've seen like the art for the movie poster, mm. but it just says Dick. And then it's just the two girls in very scandalous outfits. And uh-huh. the White House is really tiny in the background. So uh-huh. you would have no idea that it's actually a political comedy at all. Right. It looks like and they're a, giving a little smirk as well. Like, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. suggestive <laughs> considering they're 15, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I hadn't seen it, but I my mom bought it. And we have it on VHS back in Virginia Beach somewhere. And she was a big fan of the movie. And then I eventually got around to watching it. Um, So that's how uh, I came about watching it. But I hadn't seen it in maybe 15 years since this past week. This is like a nice, nice time to revisit it then. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Interesting. Yeah, the kind of classic um, like historians, you often talk about like finding stuff on the library shelves that don't show up in the catalog. And that's like the classic like movie version of that. Oh, exactly. Um, Yeah, browsing the blockbuster. Yeah, Blockbuster, R.I.P. Um, yeah. But I guess they, they wanted it to cater to, they were, I guess they decided to focus on the young women demographic rather than the kind of people who would enjoy a movie like this. Experienced and, Watergate, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So massive <laughs> yeah, I saw fail PR-wise. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw, I mean, this came out in 1999, so about 20-ish years after Watergate. Um, and the, yeah, I, in my research, I kind of found that the studio Paramount was like, we have no idea how to market this. Um, yeah. and this, they decided to go with marketing it to teenage girls because Michelle Williams was on, 
um uh dawson's is it dawson's creek Dawson's Creek, yeah yeah okay i was about to say beach and i was like no that's, that's a different <laughs> one <laughs> i never saw it either i don't know <laughs> um and dunst who was also kind of like a hot starlet at the time so they decided to go the teen girl route which i think was a mistake um yeah but, but yeah and a, and a lot of the reviews also made you know kind of made it clear being like we don't really know why they marketed this to like essentially millennials or gen xers considering um that like all the jokes in it are really kind of aimed at people who experienced Watergate or the 70s um but we can get into that a bit later no you're right I mean I read the same thing that they shopped it to at least 12 different you know studios that turned them down and it was actually a guy who worked for Phoenix Pictures um this chairman had um been really active in the Clinton campaign was not Mm. a fan of Nixon so he um he got on board with the movie (laughs) he was looking forward to it okay (laughs) it is yeah and it's fascinating production um kind of like history as well where in the sense um so it was written and it was written by the director Andrew Fleming along with Sherry Longin um and they started you know the kind of the genesis of this movie was not being like oh we should make a comedy about Watergate but rather we should make a movie about teenage girls and then we're kind of like trying out different scenarios that would be funny from there and then landed on Watergate, which I find really interesting um, and kind of like speaks to what one of the reasons or one of the things I like about the movie, which is although it is like a political comedy about Watergate, that it, it also has this like really nice seed of like female friendship at the center. Um, anyways. Good and, yeah, I feel like it's definitely one of those movies where we're laughing with them, not at them. Um, yes. Although I'm, I was wondering like how you feel about that, though, because I feel like kind of if you're you know if you're pitching to this a movie executive right the 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 hilarity of like okay what if two teenage girls were deep throat and like we're at the center of watergate and in the movie themselves they're kind of portrayed as ditzy well-meaning but ditzy and i wonder like okay has it like aged in a way where it's like we can i not identify ourselves with them but kind of like admire them or has it always meant to be like oh they are just like two dumb teenage girls I don't know. I feel I feel like they're pretty admirable uh, characters okay. compared to everyone else in the movie. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. And they're and you got to I mean, yeah, like that. You know, my feminist side is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, like this film as much as I should uh, mm-hmm. because of the way they portray the girls. But I mean, there are still ditzy people out there, men and women. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So no. that's how yeah. I justify it to myself, at least. <laughs> cool. No, and I agree. I think it does. Like, I was kind of like, oh, like, is this just going to be like terrible, like hating on teenage girls for an hour and a half alongside the Watergate stuff. And I was really pleased that it wasn't that. So, okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And I think Andrew Fleming, who I got the sense from him that he, uh, well, I think Michelle Williams in an interview said that like he was just like a 15 year old girl um, and really bonded with them during filming. um, And he kind Mm. of, this was his follow up from The Craft, which is a major cult classic kind of teen witch movie. And I get the sense that he really identified kind of with that teen girl element but anyways getting yeah but well the other his co-writer also um Mm -hmm. i mean i guess like like you said they really just wanted to write sort of a coming of age in the 70s film before they stumbled upon hey what if the girls were deep throat but um cheryl long and she apparently had stayed at key biscayne at the same time as president nixon in the 70s and thrown ice at their secret service members Mm -hmm. and gotten in trouble so it was sort of like based on her own personal experience somehow yeah i saw that as well um as she said chaos ensued um so (laughs) (laughs) it's a great um yeah uh, also the washington post article on the movie at the time uh said that it was probably only a matter of time before the children of watergate turned around and got even um so it is interesting how this like is kind of a genesis of both like a teen movie but then also like uh Fleming and Long and working through their like right just kind of like Watergate being their like, their first major political movie or political moment sorry and how that affected the generation which the movie really addresses but right well uh, and and I mean going to back to I mean if we want to talk about reviews um mm. it got a lot of interesting reviews at the time but some of them are really icky even the New York Times one called the girls um mini Lewinsky's or something and, Ooh, he, and he said it like yeah. twice and it's nothing to do not even remotely related no, with that situation there's like a little bit yeah not really at all um, the only similarity is that terrible timing the character in 
the movie, Arlene lives in the Watergate and Lewinsky lived in the Watergate. That's literally oh, the only that. comparison I could think of, but okay. that's yeah. obviously not what I didn't know she lived in the Watergate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but okay, so we should do the 60-second plot description before we get more into it. Oh, yeah. Um, so for new listeners, I task every guest uh, with the 60-second plot description so they can, so we can, you know, kind of talk about the movie, even if you haven't seen it. And the Rules of the 60-second plot description are that the guest has to describe the movie in 60 seconds or less. So, Rivers, are you ready to go? Yes. I'll try not okay. to get mush mouth. I'll go as quick as I can. <laughs> okay. No no sweat. Just a game. All right. All right. So, Three, two, one, go. Dick is a movie about two ditzy teenage girls named Betsy and Arlene. Arlene lives in the Watergate complex. And the two girls accidentally stumble upon the June 1972 break-in of the Democratic National Committee headquarters. And in order to keep them quiet, President Richard Nixon appoints them to be White House dog walkers and secret youth advisors. Um, hijinks ensue, and while working as the dog walkers, they accidentally discover his taping system, um, which reveals both Nixon's involvement in the Watergate cover-up and that he hates his dog. Um, they're disgusted by that he hates his dog, so they then work alongside uh, Washington Post reporters Woodward and Bernstein to bring down President Nixon. Nice. Did yeah. I do it? <laughs> 39 seconds. You did it. I yeah. think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, it's. Uh, we can talk about some of the finer details, but yeah, that's... Um... That's it. That's the movie. I mean, it's it's pretty simple, and it's you know I can appreciate like a ninety minute movie for certain. Um, yeah, and just a fun a fun movie. <laughs> it's really and fun, yeah, imagine. and it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it ends you know, pretty, it's pretty well timed movie, and they could have been a lot more liberal with the timeline historically, but I think they did a pretty good job. They squeezed in a the, lot of references. Definitely. I mean, I think the biggest kind of thing is that like Checkers never lived in the White House, right? <laughs> Yeah, Checkers died eight <laughs> years before this movie. And so, yeah, so just to, like, let listeners know, they do call the dog Checkers, but the dog mm. at the time was called King Timaho. Terrible name. Um, what, what, T- Timaho? King Timaho, yeah. It was okay, a, I don't it's, know what it's a reference <laughs> to, like, um, Nixon's ancestors lived in a hamlet in, I think it's called a hamlet in Ireland, called Timaho. Okay. <laughs> so huh. they named the dog King Timaho. Anyway, he's not even... He's not a Cocker Spaniel like Checkers was. Uh-huh. He's not a German yeah. short-haired pointer, which is what they have in the movie. He's an Irish mm-hmm. setter. Are you telling me there was no Irish setters available? Available? Yeah. They were like, oh. Yeah. But, and in it the was, movie, thought, yeah. it's like a throwaway line where one of his advisors is like, shouldn't you be calling him King Timaho, sir? But you can barely hear him <laughs> I didn't say catch that. that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of the chronology. It's, um, well, I think that's kind of like one of the things about this movie as well, because at this point, no one knew who Deep Throat was, right? So the idea that it was two teenage girls, while probably highly, well, while highly implausible, was not, I guess, out of the entire realm of question, right? Yeah. Like no one knew. So kind of running on this like big American secret, what if it was two teenage girls? And I had a point, what was the point there? Um <laughs> <laughs> well you're right oh, like the movie like, could right. not have been made in 2000 you know it, it, they're lucky they made it when they did because it wasn't yeah, that much definitely. long afterwards yes. that it was revealed that mark felt was deep dirt not two teenage girls right well have okay have you um have you heard the nora efron story oh after she married bernstein no so i mean she was married to bernstein right yeah. And she saw his notes that said MF said this. And she oh, was like, yeah. is that Mark Felt? And he was like, um, uh, no, that's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, okay. And at parties for years and years, she would say, I know who Deep Throat is. And people would say like, who is it, Nora? And she's like, it's Mark Felt. And they'd laugh her off and be like, oh, Nora, you're so funny. And <laughs> she told this to a whole I, crowd. I, I read once, the article audience. where she says, finally, I can talk about it. But I didn't realize she'd actually tried no, to tell she people. Talk- she talked about it loads of times. So people just thought she was joking. Oh um, but no, we should. Is this after their divorce? Was she doing it out of animosity? Or... I think I think it was after the divorce. Yeah, oh, after wow. after heartburn and all that. Um, That's too. Anyway, funny. so we we could have known if we were paying attention to Nora. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think okay. I think a lot of this film, this film is kind of like playing on the fact, right, that like we don't or we don't know a lot about, we do know a lot about Watergate, right? But so much of it is in the secrecy and the details mm. and what we do and don't know. And that's where it gets its comedy from, along with the fact that Nixon is kind of this over-the-top comedic guy, which I was wondering what you thought of his portrayal in this movie. 
um, by Dan Hidea because we just had a seminar here at the RAI where he brought up several funny instances about the president <laughs> and kind of like his and so I was wondering what you thought basically about like kind of his like longer legacy and him as like both we think of him like as a crook against his you know uh, insisting that he's not um, and maybe also like as his more comedic portrayals in the years since. Yeah I think Dan Hidea did a criminally underrated performance i mean it's just he's brilliant great. yeah and it's so funny um it's not and i don't want to sound too much like a nixon apologist here but i mean mm -hmm. they make him out to be like this dog abusing jerk and it's really further from the truth he was awkward around the dog um mm -hmm. but he just was dying for that dog to love him you know the way oh. that <laughs> you know johnson and kennedy were really well associated with their dogs and mm -hmm. there actually was a big push from people in the administration to get Nixon, you know, more pictures with Nixon and the dog interacting. Um, but he was just a little awkward. So he got this big tray of biscuits. He was always trying to feed the dog biscuits. Um, he was even going to take the dog on a flight um, with him to Ireland, but he didn't want the dog to have to be in the hold. So he said, no, he should stay home. Um, so, yeah, that that aspect of the portrayal is, I think, inaccurate, but it's obviously really funny. Right. Um, he says in the movie, it's like checker shut up i'm gonna feed you to the chinese you know <laughs> no, this, yeah. this would have never happened um right but it is a really hilarious portrayal i would think one of the better ones because as you know there are plenty of horrible portrayals of nixon out there just acting wise um but he does a really good job in this i think yeah i agree he, he, and I he think definitely captures the conniving side really well <laughs> yes right and i mean yeah just kind of like you know getting um betsy and arlene to be the official dog walkers and there's the great line that they use in the trailer as well which is like i'm great with young people yeah um, which you can almost imagine nixon saying i mean just from what i've heard right like so you you mentioned this kind of like plot in the middle of watergate to, or not plot sorry or just like um publicity scheme or an attempt at a publicity scheme to get him to stand outside the panda exhibit and oh, talk yeah. to children right um and that just kind of you know just kind of like these like i just always imagine kind of like the um the Nixon administration at this point, just kind of like a running around being like, what do we do? How do we mitigate this? Mm -hmm. um, and coming up with these kind of like harebrained schemes that getting That's two exactly teenage girls to be, okay, yeah. I, I mean, this honestly could have happened. It sounds so stupid, <laughs> but like I, it, I wouldn't put it past because they were just like, they were running on empty, you know, when it came, when it came to like PR strategies mm -hmm. to get the president to appear likable during Watergate. And right. there, I actually did come across something in the archives a few weeks ago where his White House um, photographer, Ollie Atkins, is just begging for some kind of like, you know, good photo op. He's like, can we please get the dog out here? <laughs> um, can we get some shots with him playing with the dog? Can I get a shot of him bowling anything? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're really grasping at straws. So the movie actually isn't completely implausible. You could absolutely like see Nixon having like a youth advisor, something around like like that. Um, so so it, they, I think they did a really good job of sort of um, shoehorning in like the story yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's it's just an interesting american president movie right because i feel like so many i mean dan hedey himself was in nixon a few years before right i think our idea of what a president's movie is is usually very self-serious and very like grand and you know if it's something like jfk it's a bit more or maybe lincoln um which we covered to last season it's a lot more you know it's, it's it's abraham lincoln right yeah or if it's like nixon the anthony hopkins movie um it's going to be a bit more okay what is the mind behind this man the first pre man to resign the presidency um yeah. and this or is Bush, just a big you know, send up all of our students yeah. films and uh yeah you're right I, I don't think it's fair i think we should get a parody of the kennedy administration um, <laughs> yeah i guess i guess nixon sort of gets the short end of the stick because i mean there are some other silly films, uh, Elvis and Nixon. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. So that actually has Kevin Spacey as Nixon. And it's okay. He does a pretty good Nixon, probably unsurprisingly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's more like Nixon gets sort of the fun films, but uh, the other presidents are taken pretty. I guess there was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. <laughs> does that count? That's true. We did have that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, you're absolutely right. But I think, like, comedy wise, it really works for me. I don't know about you, but um, until. I would say the first time I watched it, it's like everyone actually is like portraying these characters really well, including Kissinger. I think the Kissinger impression Kiss in this movie is brilliant and hilarious. Um, mm -hmm. And I would encourage anyone who watches it to just watch with subtitles, maybe, because a lot of the jokes just slip under the radar. Like, right. When he's There's walking. There's a lot of stuff like just going to. 
Yeah, when like Kissinger's walking with the two girls, he's like, well, girls, you know, it took years to extricate de Gaulle from Algeria. Like, just little things. He's trying to, like, convince them that Vietnam's, you know, going well and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then, and then Woodward and Bursley come in, and it's like, why is Will Ferrell here? <laughs> he just totally oh, you took, d- he took me out of the movie for a minute, you know? Because he, he just did. sort of okay. played. He didn't, I didn't do realize- an impression. He just right. was there. Because he's <laughs> well, he's like Will Ferrell, right? Like being I I mean that's one of my favorite I didn't realize he was in the movie until like shortly before I started watching it. And then I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, as Bob Woodward. And I think I guess if this is coming at like kind of like right as when he's about at the, like the height of his powers as like a comedy star. Yeah. Um, it's a really good use of him. Um and he and hold on, let me get his name. Um oh it's over here. Two is it the SNL um, cast? Because I mean, this is like yes, a who's Bruce who of McCulloch. It is. It is a who's who of SNL. Um, Bruce McCulloch is Carl Bernstein. Um, they're Woodward and Bernstein in kind of the send up of all the president's men, which is how the movie opens, right? The movie opens with them on this. I think it's supposed to be. Um, oh, who's the radio host? Um, with the he always wears the tie. Um, oh, I don't know. Oh gosh, was he in I the movie? Yeah, at the, at the very beginning of the movie, um, when they're giving a ra- an interview to someone, to this, I think it's supposed to be this um, famous radio, Larry, Larry King. I think it's supposed to be Larry King. Really? Um, I think so. It, he had Larry King energy. Wow. Um, and he's like, so can I ask, like, who's Deep Throat? And they're like, no, 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 we can't say, we can't say. <laughs> um, and Bruce McCullough comes close, uh, Carl Bernstein comes close to saying, and um, Woodward is like, cut it out. And then it cuts to the girls. And it, that's, I mean, and then later they say like, oh, like no one will ever know that you were deep throat because it'd be too embarrassing to tell them. Oh that. yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> to protect our identity? No, it's just too embarrassing to let people. Right, yeah. <laughs> but all of this like was just like hinging on two teenage girls who just happened to be at the right time at the right moment at like every step of the way <laughs> yeah I well I will um yeah side note I have met Bernstein and he's a really lovely guy oh, um, okay. and it was just like a lucky encounter um when I was at Duke and I was working at the nice hotel on Duke campus and mm-hmm. I was so sad because I was working that night and I wasn't going to get to see his talk at Duke and then he came into our restaurant on at the hotel so I got to meet him then and he hey. was just so nice so um he kind of yeah, seems to get the short end of the stick in the movie, but he actually was interviewed after the movie came out and said he thought it was really funny. So. Yes, I also saw that. Yeah. I, lo- I okay, love so that. He-, he has a sense of humor about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he approves of it. I mean, especially like All the President's Men is a great movie, but it is so, again, like so like self-serious, right? And like long yeah. and just like all the shots of them kind of bent over the desk and all the, you know, the suspense and stuff. So it's it's just like very funny to see that, that kind of like sent up here. Oh yeah, they could do a whole a whole other parody just on that. That would be great. I would no, watch the hell out of that. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, this movie is like it, a lot of a few reviewers described it as um, all the president's men meets Clueless. Yeah. So it, yeah, I mean, it's it, I mean, it's yeah, just obvious, I guess. Um, but speaking of teenage girl, or speaking of Clueless. Um, we should get back to our conversation about the two like main characters of this movie, um, Betsy and Arlene, because I mean, they're really what is, I mean, apart from all the Watergate stuff, I just found it so interesting. Like, I don't know. It's just, I love that. Like the Watergate parody or not parody. It's not even a parody. Just the Watergate comedy is about two teenage girls and also kind of serves as this like seventies nostalgia vehicle. Yeah. And I mean, people who I've, I have seen the film with um, who were alive during the period say that it is mm-hmm. a really good representation of sort of being in high school at the time during Watergate, like interesting about how they get so excited about going to McDonald's after their field yeah. trip. That's apparently <laughs> really accurate. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I guess like the wardrobe, I mean, the it's just really realistic, right? The wardrobe actually came from, I guess there was this huge warehouse of like untouched polyester seventies clothing somewhere in Colorado oh my gosh. that they yeah. got a hold of. So yeah, they said the girls were like sweating really bad during filming. I like bet. everyone's yeah. wearing all this polyester. <laughs> um, but that's but that really like yeah, it really takes you into the seventies and the mm-hmm. girls do a really good job of just yeah, that that energy, that like seventies hippie sort of borderline hippie vibe, um, the Bobby Sherman obsession. Yeah, yes, they do. Right, really which good is job. how so um to maybe get into a little bit more detail, the plot, uh Arlene and her best friend Betsy are teenage girls obsessed with Bobby Sherman. 
and need to mail this letter by midnight. I'm not really sure how the USPS will know that um, if they've put it in the mailbox. By true, then. true. Plot, um, plot so uh, they sneak out of the water gate where um, Arlene lives with her mother, Helen, and put tape over the door so they don't have to go back in, which then enables um, uh, creep or the, at least the, um, the, the, the men of creep to sneak into the DNC. Um, and then, of course, sneaking back into the Watergate, they make some noise, which tips off the security officer that there has been a break-in. Um, yes. And that's, that's what gets the ball rolling on yes. all of this. I promise not to nitpick about factual inaccuracies or anything, but uh-huh. they, they should have. I mean, there's not that many people of color in the film, right? And they really missed mm-hmm. out because the, the guard, instead of just being this really gross guy that they have he has um, like a Brooklyn they, accent as well he's like yeah. it's gonna break it at the water gate yeah <laughs> what was that I mean that was so weird because the, the actual guy was a, a black guy um yeah who I, I that as well Frank Wills. yeah and he um sad like really sad story because he ended up dying in poverty in South Carolina I think but mm. there was um white officers on that same night and now if you go to the Watergate hotel you can pay mm-hmm. thousands of dollars to have that guy the white guy who's still alive come and have a drink with you at the watergate bar wow isn't that the really it's just a weird discrepancy there right yeah the I, I, I was just blown away that that was poverty yeah yeah and now it's like a package for you to have um a drink with the guy that i guess is portrayed in the film um super bizarre <laughs> weird okay yeah I'm not, sure. I mean, if I had a couple thousand dollars to throw around, I'd, I'd go meet, meet would with you, him for Would you, would you do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, ask him how he felt about that. his portrayal as a, you know, gassy In the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> security guard. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Um, so yeah, this kind of like, yeah, this like teenagehood in the Nixon administration. I don't, do you, does your work, I know you focus mostly on sports, but I imagine that kind of does involve to a certain extent you know, thinking about how young people are responding to Nixon. What, what was kind of like, what do you think about that? (laughs) This is so perfect because just yesterday I found this document and this is actually Mm -hmm. from when Nixon was running um, for governor of California in 1962. Mm -hmm. One of the ways he bribed, or at least his team bribed young people to support the Nixon campaign was if you plaster enough Nixon bumper stickers on cars, we'll give you mm-hmm. free tickets to the LA Rams football game this Sunday. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so like there were definitely youth outreach efforts like that, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the youth can yeah. So I guess sport was definitely like tied into trying to attract younger people to vote for Nixon. Um, Cause he's not exactly seen as like the hippest guy in town. Right. So that's mm-hmm. just one way they're trying to appeal um, to younger people. So, like I said, this is kind of something that I think they get pretty, they do pretty well in the movie of having secret youth advisors that's out. Mm-hmm. Not too far from the truth. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, that's, the movie also kind of takes that to like, well, I mean, because you have uh, Vietnam is also an interesting presence in this movie because they don't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is to an extent a certain kind of plot point because Betsy's older brother, who is a massive stoner, um, gets his, uh, there's like a name for the letter, isn't it? But he basically gets his like calls to, um, sign up for the war. Yeah. And I mean, you also have, they, they influence policy in really interesting ways. And of course, no one believes them when they talk about it. They have the one really strict teacher who is aghast that they would ever lie about the American presidency and kind of <laughs> denigrate such a great office. Um, but the movie implies that they're responsible for Nixon pulling out of Vietnam, um, and also helping along the peace accords with Leonid Brezhnev. Oh, yeah. Um, all with the help of these famous Hello Dolly cookies that Betsy makes, which right. her brother has also sneaked weed into. Um, so there's quite a lot of like edible tomfoolery going on throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. Seeing um, stoned Brezhnev was one of the highlights, right? It's great. Yeah. I and think that's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> yeah. I looked up the Hello Dolly recipe. It's pretty easy. Um it's like they were real crackers, cookie, right? It's kind of butterscotch chips. Mm. Yes, yeah, I mean, I I'm worthless in the kitchen, but I think even I can make this. So there we go. Okay, maybe we yeah we should try that out. But Next yeah, that, that, I think that off. was. Yeah. But like what you said about Vietnam, it's yeah. I think this is one of the parts where they actually do get the time timeline pretty well. It's pretty accurate because the last draftee was this guy from Louisiana, and that was January 1973, and then okay. the Brezhnev meeting happens in June of 73. So they actually do do a pretty good job of like staying in line with uh, the events at the time. 
yeah, and then and then obviously the resignation of Haldeman and Dean comes after that. So, yeah, kudos to the director. Good job. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of I mean, as he said. Um, once we started researching it, it read like a comedy. I mean, the committee to reelect the president was called Creep. Um, and he also called Nixon just a car crash of a human being. So it's interesting that I feel like as a, it, this is maybe one of the, like, the ideal historians movies where obviously like Betsy and Arlene are fictional characters, but it is just, it to an, like we said, kind of like to an extent sticks to the actual history of the events um, in a way that heightens what is already like naturally dramatic and funny about them. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of historians' criticisms when it comes to movies is like, why would you change this when the reality is already <laughs> so exciting and interesting and funny or dramatic or whatever kind of, you know, attention-grabbing adjective you want to use? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, they did. And then he he and um, Longin also mentioned just like listening to some of the tapes and being like some of the things that he says in the movie we got directly from the tapes. Um yeah. I mean, it's, it's convenient to have those tapes right with you when you're making a historic movie like this to kind of reference and draw from. Um, so I guess they had an easier time there than others. But yeah, I would say the only time that I was like, why wouldn't they just do what happened in real life was mm-hmm. with Ryan Reynolds, who was apparently an unknown actor at the time. Yeah, he just shows up here for like a bit joke. It was just like a frat so boy kind weird. Of. And he, yeah, so he in the film, he plays Chet. <laughs> I want to say his name Chet. is and he's um, he's Haldeman's son's best friend who pretends to be Haldeman's son yeah which why wouldn't you just make him Haldeman's son because in real life Haldeman had two sons one was named Hank one was named Peter and they were both long-haired you know weed smoking teenagers in real oh, life really okay yeah, yeah and Haldeman even banned um the older one briefly from the White House and forbid him from using the car so to uh-huh. have him out there like you know working on the car I thought that that would definitely be Haldeman's son. So what's with the weird plot to us where it's his best friend hanging out at the house while he's at a dentist appointment? I was like, yeah, it's, it's a weird kind of like a weird okay. scene. Right? Yeah. Um, it's also just, yeah, I mean, he's kind of like made out to be this kind of like hapless, um, kind of like all American frat boy or something. Um, yeah. who's just visiting from college. So it is uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. That would have been, um, I'm not sure why his career took off after that performance but hey because <laughs> well, I when you recommended it I was kind of like looking at it and I was like okay yeah, Kirsten Dunst Michelle Williams cool cool and then I saw um that he was in it and I was like whoa that's crazy and you kind of you see a flash of him in the trailer um I mean for listeners this is kind of part of an extensive um point where Arlene and Betsy have um, now severed their ties with Nixon and are working with Woodward and Bernstein to you know, be deep throat essentially, and they need the tapes. And they realize that is it Halderman who has the tapes at his house? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they obviously this didn't happen, they, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, in the movie, they the realize movie, Halderman. <laughs> Halderman has the tapes at his house, and they go to his house to try to find the tapes. And Ryan Reynolds is there as Chet, uh, working on the car, and Kirsten Dunst kind of um, seduces him while Michelle Williams sneaks in to get the tapes. Yeah, and that's that's and, what and that, it's just uh, a comedy weird is. throwaway character. Um, I got. I, yeah. I would say that the guy who does play Haldeman does a pretty good job. They could have given him more Haldeman haircut, but Dave Foley. Yeah, mm. he's one. I don't think he's one of the SNL cast. What I heard was that Will Ferrell was the first to sign on to this film, and then yes. all the other characters followed him, like Jim kind Brewer. I thought mm-hmm. they did so well. You know, you hear stories about you know failed SNL films and. You know, mm-hmm. some SNL cast members struggling with their careers um, after they leave, you know, SNL. But I think they all just did fantastic. Uh, Anna, or... Anna Gastier, is that how you pronounce it? Yes, she, does, she is great as well. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean she, just yeah, based she, on the internal presence. memo traffic that I've read um, from Rosemary Wood, she's kind of mm-hmm. like the OG Karen, you know. And I think Anna did a really good job portraying her. I love the moment. I mean, it's the, I mean, these two girls, like, the movie just gets so much, like, comedic um kind of like energy from the fact that they are um kind of like space cadets and yeah kind of like they're airy they're very like airheaded right like they are in the middle of this thing like they see all the documents being shredded and they're just like okay and they accept that nixon (laughs) is making paper mache Um, yeah and 
Right. So they're, they just kind of like walk in, you know, they, they go up to the gates of the White House and they're like, we're the dog walkers. Like, let us in. Right. Like they're, they're very, very naive. naive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they walk up and they're like, we're here to walk checkers. And Anna Gasteyer just goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I was uh, so busy dealing with the president of the United States that I forgot about all other God's creatures. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're both kind of focused in on whatever they're doing in a different way. Um, and yeah, she just everybody just has really a lot of really funny one liners in this movie, which I appreciated. Um, oh yeah I, I, like i said definitely listen to it um or watch it with the transcript um at the bottom because uh i mean even like the the one i'm thinking of is um there's a moment where woodward is like i went to yale i don't need this or something it's like you wouldn't even <laughs> notice it if i hadn't had um yeah the subtitles on um but yeah there's a lot of really good one-liners especially from kissinger uh there's a um a scene where nixon slams the door in kissinger's face when he's meeting with the two teenagers and mm-hmm. he's like, it's fine. I had a meeting anyway with the Nobel Committee, like <laughs> under his breath. <laughs> yeah, this kind of like excluded guy. Um, but it's I funny just... because Kissinger always had like arm candy, right? And they were always like, did he? Weren't... Was he like oh, a ladies' yeah, man? Yeah. I okay. mean, I mean, one of his girlfriends said he really wasn't interested in sex. He was bored by that, but <laughs> that he wanted to like present this image of himself as a present, playboy and macho the, man. Yeah, exactly. And the administration was kind of like sick of his, you know, socialite behavior. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, it so it wouldn't be too far off for him to gravitate to the two 15 year old attractive girls and be like, oh, come on in, ladies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Which kind of, I guess, like the Monica Lewinsky thing of it, right? Because this movie is hitting right as that scandal is hitting. And Andrew Fleming is kind of like, it's unfortunate. We had no idea, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of like two, I think somebody made up, several reviewers made comments about, you know, being an intern at the White House. Um, yeah, just interesting timing and kind of like the 90s of it all, right? Because I guess this is like coming 20 years after Watergate. And it is from what I, I mean, I was barely conscious at this time. Um, but I understand the country was or pop culture was having a big 70s moment. Yeah. Um, I, the, the biggest example that comes to mind for me is that 70s show right. right so you're kind of at like I guess it's where we are now with the early 2000s with that kind of like Gen Z really being into early 2000s stuff right now um is you know it's been 20 years you're taking a step back and thinking like okay what was this about right and the people who lived through that time are also now in positions to write movies about it and kind of do a send-up of this stuff yeah and I think that's why they don't over explain things in the film it's because mm-hmm. probably lots of people who went to see it would already know about Ehrlichman and Haldeman and all the characters. So they don't go out of their way to explain, you know, who these people are, because I think they just assume the audience is going to know. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't hurt to have, a, you know, some knowledge of Watergate before you watch it. Oh, <laughs> That's definitely. for sure. Yeah. I think I think having kind of like the baseline... Um... Yeah, it can be confusing. I mean, I watched that one YouTube video that I've been always shown, I think, in high school about like the why Nixon or why Watergate made me lose a spelling bee later on in life. I don't know if you've seen that. What? No. Um, Oh, it's like a really concise, like maybe like 12 or 15 minute video about basically what the Watergate scandal was. Um, And the man who's narrating it is basically saying like, because the Watergate hearings are being aired on TV, I missed some television show that would teach me how to spell. Um, And because of that, I didn't never learn that there's a difference between like a hard C and a soft C and I like missed some word that that's the point like the punchline but it actually is just like a really like consistent like you know concise like okay here are the people you need to know about here's what happened kind of explanation of Watergate um oh that's great I'm gonna and that was helpful for me because I mean a lot of the uh you know the kind of the Haldermans and the G Gordon Liddies and the John Deans um it's, it's just a lot of a lot of guys to keep a track of you know oh yeah i mean there's an uh there was a, you probably saw this a vanity fair article and this was only a few years ago i want to say 2018 and mm-hmm. the writer said everything i ever knew about watergate i learned from dick and it's a really <laughs> nice review of the film you know uh, yeah <laughs> so i guess it, it the the few the few who did go see it in theaters did learn a lot because <laughs> mm-hmm. um but, it, but like you said, it is a, it's a pretty big cast of characters, and I think they do a pretty good job of um, organizationally keeping everyone in check. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the movie does have kind of like these like two phases, right, where you kind of have this opening act is them kind of getting into it and being the dock walkers and having this sway in the White House as Nixon's unofficial or secret use advisors. 
Um, and then once they discover the tapes and that um, kind of the things he said, and I think, I mean, the breaking point for them is that he hits checkers, isn't it? Yeah. He really. takes uh, him over and he, everything and he, he else. Blink and you miss it. You can barely hear it uh, in yeah. the movie, but he Agreed. definitely kicks him and you can hear him cry. Yeah. Um, and then from there, kind of going on, taking on this role of deep throat, which um, only comes about because they prank call Woodward and Bernstein. Like it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because they—they're mad at him. So why wouldn't? Why would they? What was with the prank call? I didn't understand that part of it. I—that was yeah. I mean, I also agree that was a bit um, confusing for me. I guess they're just bored and they're like, "We'll prank call someone," and then they are, you know, thinking about who to prank call, and decide on because Nixon calls them those like muckraking Liberals, somethings, muckrakers yeah. or something, uh, and they're like, "Let's call the muckrakers," <laughs> and uh, from there, it's you know their prank call about what they did in the white house and what they know turns into them um becoming the informant for the washington post right i think that call is really funny i think person dunce does a really good impression of a british person because <laughs> she pretends to be an oh, ambassador right. she pretends daughter. to be an ambassador yeah <laughs> I have some information you know she does a really good job Dunst um, is great and she's she's like definitely i guess like betsy and arlene she uh dunst is betsy um, and she's maybe a bit more of like the airier of the two in a sense where like Arlene seems to have like a bit, you know, she kind of, she has maybe a bit more thought behind her. I don't know if you'd agree. Oh, like I definitely kind of, agree. She, yeah. But like, she also like, is like, a bit like environmentalist losing her father yes. and, you know, right. clearly looking for a man to feel, fill some kind of void. Right. You know, Which she goes leads... so quickly from Bobby Sherman to Dick to, to, yeah. Yeah, to <laughs> Which... Nick Jagger or whoever she mentions at the end. <laughs> yeah. Which leads to, again, like one of the, I mean, so she has this like, you know, wall to Bobby Sherman in her bedroom. Um, and it is replaced with this like teen girl fan cut out magazines and photos of Nixon. Um, and then so also good. leads to the dream sequence of her Nixon on the beach while the love theme plays. And, um, and she's like, what about Pat? And he's like, she's fine. Don't worry. She understands. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Pat. She only gets seen like passed out in the bed uh, while Nixon's drinking himself to death. Uh, yeah. And he's like, quit snoring, Pat. Um, and in reality, they didn't even sleep in the same room. So that didn't hold up. They but, didn't. Um, oh, wait. Really? No, he was an kind of like... insomniac. And also he ended up moving into Trisha's room at some point. Okay, so there's a book. That's actually by the real White House dog walker. It came out in 1975, right after mm -hmm. um, Nixon um, resigned. The guy's name's Travis Bryant, and the book's called Dog Days at the White House. And he mentions that because the dog barks so much, Nixon can't sleep. So he moves into Trisha's room on the other side of the White House that's a, further away from the kennel, so he doesn't have to hear the dog bark. Um, that's crazy. But yeah, he, same with him and Pat. Like, they just, he just never could sleep, so. Huh. Interesting. That was I guess actually, you know. Yeah. Just a fun tidbit. <laughs> huh. Yeah, there we go. But yeah, also going back to what you're saying about like the prank call, because that reminded me that's the same time where they come up with Deep Throat. Um, so I liked how they justified the the older brother is like gone to this porno film. So that's why they give themselves the name Deep Throat, where, mm -hmm. you know, in reality, it's a guy who worked for the Post. Um, what's his name? Howard Simons. He's the managing editor at the time. He's the one who came up with Deep Throat, alluding to the porno and like the Deep background status of the information that Woodward and Bernstein were getting but right. I thought that the way they the way they worked that into the film with the brother seeing the form was really clever yeah well, it was really clever right like, yeah I, I really like the way this kind of like again like getting to the fact that it's about two teenage girls this used pop culture of the 70s and kind of like what was happening um so yeah you have like kind of the deep throat coming from the porno not from this person at the Washington Post um and the Bobby Sherman of it all and I think you also see like Nixon at one point watching, um, oh, what's that to the TV show like called like American Love Stories, um, that like yeah, really seventies. Sure. I'm, I'm, and I'm no like I don't know much about music, but I know that this film has like a banging soundtrack. Oh, the so. soundtrack is just they're just like dropping. I mean, like again, like as the seventies nostalgia project, as much as like a send up of Watergate, it is just like dropping things left and right. Like <laughs> it will stop one song and move on to the other immediately. Um, and then the end, the end sequence when Nixon finally resigns mm -hmm. and the girls kind of get their revenge set to you're so vain is, I just think it's just, that, that is like one of maybe like the best endings oh, it's so of good. a movie we've covered on this podcast, much less of like any political movie. Um, and it almost didn't happen apparently, right? Because I oh, think really? they wanted a 
first they wanted a Led Zeppelin song, but they couldn't get the rights to it or something. And then they wanted mm-hmm. another song that was by some artist who was conservative and didn't want them to use the song. So they're like, okay. well, it didn't matter because your so vain worked out so much better anyway. It is so, so good, right? And it kind of, you have the moment where like Nixon looks at the cameraman, you know, as he's walking down towards um, the helicopter and he like it as like it, it, they've like synced it up with the lyrics about the i guess like warren Beatty or the other man she wrote you're so vain about um so well into like a, where he's like checking himself out in the mirror at a party yeah um and it's yeah this kind of this i don't know just like this like 70s moment it's yeah and well um, and they went above and beyond because they actually i guess spent most of the movie's budget getting that helicopter because really they, yeah they ordered the exact same um helicopter that nixon actually flew away with they really like the directors like, really pushed for that um that's crazy maybe okay. all the the money they could have spent getting a, an irish setter which nixon actually went to the helicopter i mean the but, helicopter but that adds good. to like the yeah how realistic it is like you said yeah definitely and then, i mean yeah and then and then it just kind of the crescendo of like you were so vain right with um i mean the girls like final like you know screw you to Nixon is them unfurling this banner um at the top of Betsy's Georgetown house that says you suck dick which is like the movie's like final uh dick joke it gives itself to make um after yeah there's there's, you know, a, there's it, it is, more than a few gratuitous dick jokes. more than a few I think it, they use it like you know it's not constant um or it's not as much as I think you'd expect it to be um yeah. so it is yeah and it's they don't, they don't really kind of like um yeah, the, the they don't overdo isn't, it. Yeah, they don't overdo it, and they don't really do like the you suck. Usually, it's like the, you know, there's like several times throughout the movie where the girls are saying like I hate Dick, and like everybody else goes quiet Start, at that hey, time. I stop and look at them. <laughs> uh huh. Right, kind of like that's like really the humor that they get from. Um, and then in these like you know '70s outfits that they make from an American flag as well, Kirsten Dunn says like we look amazing. Um, and yeah, it's just and then a crescendo, and then it also ends. You kind of get like the classic like post text over you know text over screen of like saying what happened with watergate and then they also include the fact that kirsten dunn's brother invents quaaludes and makes <laughs> loads of money and they use that to open a roller rink which is implied looks like is a replica of the oval office yeah so cute i mean and obviously that wasn't the real oval office but i was really surprised right. to learn that the shots of them walking the dog at the white house actually were at the white house Really? Yeah, I thought I was like, wow, that's a really good green screen when I saw it. And then I, I, I read about it. And apparently, they got a call. They said they, I mean, this is obviously an exaggeration. They're like, five minutes ahead of time that they were allowed to film at the White House. So they rushed over to the White House, got that one shot of them walking the dog on the lawn and right. were rushed back out. But, okay, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a green screen. Yeah. I know I did too. But it's not it's really at the White House. And the rest of it, I guess, was filmed in Toronto. But it's pretty cool that they managed to film there. And sure. I guess because one of the, like I said, the, the Phoenix, um, whatever, the movie big wig guy who gave the, the green light for the film, um, mm-hmm. he actually got um, the producers or the directors a tour of the Oval Office before the movie was made. So oh, cool. they okay, were so able to like get a feel for how the White House really works, mm-hmm. which is why you get such a nice little portrayal of when they are in the Oval Office and in the other parts, mm-hmm. like in the West Wing. Um, so cool. yeah, I guess they did do their homework. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I guess oh, that would have been the Clinton administration, right? So yeah, and he was a big Clinton donor. So I guess if you oh, threw enough money their way, okay, uh, so that's, that's how we <laughs> you got can it. get okay. the tour. There we go. Yeah, another president kind of like known for his antics, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've always lived in, I guess, a, like a post Lewinsky scandal world. Um, but kind of discovering like Bill Clinton's like saxophone playing campaign. Oh, it's so, and yeah, and like fun. answering boxers or briefs. I mean, definitely a different time. Yeah. Um, my favorite legal document of all time is the Star Report. I highly encourage anyone who's interested to read it because it just reads like a dime store romance. I don't know how to explain it. It's just an incredible document, but. I'll look into that. Um, <laughs> so I guess maybe we've, we've already talked about it a little bit right at the top, um, but maybe moving into like reception and how critics and stuff thought about this film um like i mean yeah like right i mentioned this right at the top this movie did not make a lot of money um it, it's, it doesn't have much cultural longevity it cost 11 million dollars to make and it made six million which is uh not great no. <laughs> um, so but what time of year did it come out it. do you know 
don't i want to say this summer that seems like it seems it has the energy they say like the graveyard of films is when they come out in late august early september so i'm wondering if that That is not a great time uh oh early august okay so like right at the end of the summer corridor and now that's kind of that's like more of a better time for movies nowadays but that's just a recent adjustment okay so that's yeah i wonder what films they were up against like we could find out yeah let's do that (laughs) i'm curious now because i mean this is like late 90s i think big action films right like the mummy and Yes, definitely. Oh, I, I guess so. I, I watched a feature out of um, kind of prepping for this as well. Um, and they mentioned like, kind of there being like the new movie from Andrew Fleming, the director <laughs> of The Craft. And I was like, OK, sure. The Craft was a big hit. Yeah. And also, um, oh, let me get her name. Uh, Gail Ann Hurd, the producer who would produced um, Armageddon, right? So she's oh. kind of like a legendary producer. She does a lot of stuff with James Cameron, who is her ex-husband. She goes on to produce The Walking Dead as well. Um, oh. But she just produced Armageddon. And this is like the one, she produces this as well. Like her whole career is mostly sci-fi and comic book kind of like action, almost like B-movie energy movies. And then she has this in the middle of it as well. That's too funny. Uh, you don't really get a sense. Like, I guess actually maybe that's why the final shot's so compelling, right? Um, if mm-hmm. she's been involved in filming these big action films, uh, that's why they do such a good job of panning away from the... It is. It's a great... It's just great, like, helicopter coverage as well. <laughs> um, and as... Yeah, and um, Hedaya really just plays up the kind of, like, final walk and the saying, the, the, his big, like, sweeping wave. Um, Anna Gasteyer is also there crying. Um, yeah. Okay. Missed opportunity not to have Ford in the film, but they was, probably wouldn't yeah. have had time for that. Or Agnew. I, I mean, Agnew would be great Agnew would be hilarious. Material. Yeah. I mean, Agnew, you you hear stories about Nixon and then you hear stories about Agnew and it's a whole other level. Oh my God, yes. um, okay. So it made $2 million opening, which is equally not great. Let's see. What weekend was this? Um, August 3rd, 1999. Uh, Box it must have done all right. Like, home rental numbers i mean people probably didn't know what they were like i said just based on the cover not knowing what you're getting well i mean you mentioned it like it caught your eye right like yes um and you turn it around you expect to see an r-rated film and it's (laughs) pg-13 yes well then that gets into the whole like you know i guess like advertising it for teenagers um yeah which isn't yeah just like such an interesting move um Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned The Mummy. The Mummy is number one this weekend. Wow. Lucky um, guess. I guess I just had Brendan Fraser on the brain because of the Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> um, even for beating Austin Butler of Elvis, which this podcast <laughs> previously covered. Yeah. So um, The Mummy is in its like fifth week and it is still at the top of the box office. Number two is The Matrix. So it, this is just oh, wow. a hard hitting week. For yeah. movies um south park is number three the, the south park movie bigger longer and a cut notting uh-huh. hill number four so if you're not into action movies you can go see the rom-com yeah muppets from space number five wild wild west an equally kind of like iconic oh 90s comedy movie so that's also probably a big has bust, the right? Didn't will smith call that the biggest mistake of his career because i think he yes. turned down in not he turned down something incredible for Wild Wild West, but anyway. Ooh, that, that stings. Still tough um, to be. Like, I, I mean, I remember the toys from Burger King. I remember this okay. I remember this summer very well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. Number seven, Lake Placid, which I think is a kind of, horror kind of movie? It's like a teen drama, isn't it? Or, yeah. Okay, A Gigantic Crocodile Living in Maine. Mm-hmm. Horror movie. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, um, Star Wars Episode One still hanging in. Um, American Pie, number nine. So that's going to get your like teen raunchy crowd, I guess, if you don't want to see Dick. Yeah. Um, the Haunting, Inspector Gadget. It, this is the top. I mean, it's not even in the top 12. Um, so, wow. uh, I mean, that's a, that's a hard that's, box that's, office that's, to yeah, kind of try to make a splash there. in. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so yes, did not make a lot of money. A lot of people did not see it. I don't imagine it stayed around very long in the box office, but critics really liked it. Um, a lot of them did, you know, kind of make out the point that it was a great parody of Nixon. Um, uh, the, yeah, the comparisons, like I mentioned earlier, between Clueless and Mad Men. Um, again, t- Todd McCarthy of Variety, a devilishly clever satire about teenagers that, paradoxically, will appeal much more to critics and sophisticated older 
and then it will to teens themselves um, and it praised it for making fun of those in the Nixon and admin but also Woodward and Bernstein so kind of not just like taking shots at the presidential you know shenanigans but the whole the whole era I guess the whole moment yeah. I mean um, the director said that this is by far the movie he's gotten the best reviews for or at least yes. the most positive reviews I also saw that and it, it, yeah it's good uh they should re-release it for the 50th anniversary of watergate they should coming that, that's coming up isn't it is that this next year, year yeah 74 next year. Okay, or, or 74. this year depending on if you want to start depending when you want to start it <laughs> yeah the resignation's next year so it's still time yeah um this is just i don't agree with this because uh, i think the movie's really well paced but i thought it was just funny to read in a um uh, review uh michael sullivan for the washington post said um such nincompoopery is difficult to sustain over the course of an hour and a half. Uh, in the sense that, like, he, <laughs> yeah, rude, but um, fun to see nincompoopery in a. Uh, yeah, great word. Um, yeah. But interestingly, I didn't think any historians were going to be writing about this, but Scott Sandage wrote a review for the Journal of American History. Really? Um, and he had, I really liked his review of it. If you have a JSTOR account, check it out. I think actually I think JSTOR is free to most people now or it was I don't know if it still is it was during the pandemic um but you know listeners if you're not in academia check it out Scott one of us will send it to you history also (laughs) that yes um he noted that it was released on the 25th anniversary of Nixon's resignation so we're about to hit 25 years of this movie as it was 25 years after Nixon um part he described it as part slumber party part Peabody's improbable history and most surprisingly part documentary which I think speaks to what you were saying about kind of how it fits into the timeline pretty well. He did not expand on what he meant by that. <laughs> um, he also compared it to Bill and Ted's excellent adventure in the sense, you know, oh, that's the, a good the dimis- one. Yeah. As um, two teenagers kind of gate crashing the white house. Um, and also this, cause this is, I was kind of intrigued how the movie navigated these gaps we have in our knowledge about Watergate by feeling in like, Oh, it's these two teenage girls, you know, giving weed cookies to Brezhnev and Nixon, <laughs> right? Um, so he described it as solving mysteries that elude the historian, um, using the lack of our true knowledge to generate truth about its humor or to generate humor from its the lack of truth. Yeah, that's fair. You know what's funny is that I meant to mention this earlier, but that John Dean allegedly... Well, I've read two conflicting accounts. One is that they approached him and he wasn't interested in talking to them or playing himself. The other mm-hmm. is that... He wrote a draft of the script, like unsolicited, and oh. sent them to yeah to the writers, like his own, and mm-hmm. on like I guess back in the day they had floppy disks, right? And yeah, yeah the 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 writer said that she never actually opened the John Dean file, but she still has it somewhere. I would love to see his take on the script, though. Fascinating to read that and see yeah. like what he <laughs> what he does with this right? premise. Yeah, um, I wonder. I'm curious now how he felt about Jim Brewer's impersonation of him. Because the only thing I could find, like, was that Woodward hadn't watched it yet. Bernstein, that he found it really funny. But I would love to know what the other folks who were still alive when it came out thought of their portrayal. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, like you, I saw the, um, the Bernstein thing and I didn't, I haven't seen anything else. Um, mm. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. Solid movie. I, yeah. Great soundtrack. Just the costumes, the way it portrays, like, female friendship um and kind of these just these two teenage girls caught in the middle of this you know the biggest scandal to rock the presidency right in american history and it's and it's just one of those films you can watch and just feel good i mean nothing bad happens to the girls Mm -hmm. um obviously it has a very happy ending so definitely a feel-good film yeah some like light peril but nothing that is like one of the funnier sequences is when they realize they're being tapped or like followed by the nixon and minute I mean, I say funnier, but like m- most of this movie is funny, but just, I guess this is like raising the stakes, right? Like they're being followed. They're kind of like chased down an alleyway by a car. Um, oh, yeah. And these guys are like, these two girls are a threat to national security. Um, and then they're like, they're treating us like teenage girls. And like, we are teenage girls. Like they're just so in over their heads, they're so but cute. they're trying their best. Um, and they're chasing and they them in a van that says plumbers on it. I don't know if you noticed. Yes, that is, yeah, you just <laughs> see this like plumbers van throughout the entire movie kind of like milling about. Yeah, and they're trying um, to like get the, you know, the intel from these girls. But I mean, obviously, they're just talking about like, you know, guys that they find cute. And it's like mm-hmm. nonsense information. I don't know how deep the, the writers went with this. But the reason that the Watergate was broken into again was because the conversations that Gordon Liddy and his team were getting were useless. They were about like, 
beauty appointments and haircuts. So they're like, we need better taps for like, you know, mm-hmm. for, for our stuff. So, so it's kind of funny that they work that into the film a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought about that either. Nice. It's just, yeah. I, it, you know, just like, like I said a bit ago, just a send up of a ridiculous situation and, you know, you don't really need to embellish much of it to get that much comedy from it. Exactly. Um, and also surely it's, but it, oh, I don't know. I think Fleming, I must've been Fleming and Longin. I think just had a lot of fun with it. And you also have the moment, right. When Nixon finally does resign and the two girls are in a department store and kind of see his resignation plastered across this big wall of televisions. Um, and Kirsten Dunst, Betsy says, and now they're not, they'll never lie to us again. Right? <laughs> and this is kind of like, it's funny, but then it's also kind of like this, like bittersweet, like, ah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like once the wool is off, then it's, it never really goes back to that. Right. Kind of like the innocence that we had as those teenage girls that we see them throughout the movie have. And then, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like pretty poignant actually, you know, all this idealism and, you know, the office of the presidency really never recovered. <laughs> Um, but they do yeah. a good job of like the country's mo- showing the country's mood at the time, you know, parents at some point, they're like, I'm so sick of Watergate, you know, and they turn off the TV. Um, that was absolutely true. People were sick of Watergate, especially in the summer of 73, when it was on television all the time. There's an episode of King of the Hill where Archie Bunker's like, I'm so sick of Watergate. I don't want to hear about it anymore. You know, he has this huge rampage and they sort of do the same with her parents, you know, so you get like the perspectives of people who are just obviously not involved but watching on television and their reactions to it are apparently pretty spot on (laughs) Hmm. as far as the country's mood at the time the mom is interesting as well because she kind of she is involved in the bugging thing what's her deal like they send this guy (laughs) in who i I assume it's like a cuban and that's a reference to the bay of pigs stuff to seduce the mom i assume i don't know his name was i think in the film his name's rodrigo and then you never see him again you never see it again, but like maybe like you see him before as well. Like I, I was, I wasn't paying so much. L- listen, I, I'm a big fan of this movie, <laughs> but there, are, there are some times where it kind of falls apart. Um, yeah. If you know, if you think too hard about it, it's kind of like okay, there's some, yeah. Like, you gotta remember, it's just here. a fun comedy. It's, yes, <laughs> you can't yeah. take it too um, serious. You can't take it too seriously, and I don't think we should. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a movie where like also. Um, because there's okay there's like a famous bit of the nixon tapes that are like missing right like a kind of thing um and this movie explains that by arlene taping over it confessing her love to nixon uh part of which includes her singing in olivia newton john song (laughs) (laughs) very um earnestly on it so you can't so yeah nixon discovers it right and then he's just like forget watergate this is gonna kill me Right. Oh, right. And he deletes it. And I mean that. And then in amidst like the Lewinsky scandal, which is unintentional, I think that plays even better. Yeah. She's like, Arlene, you've been going on for eighteen and a half minutes. (laughs) It's like for yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right. I think. Is there anything else? Any other thoughts you have on? I think we pretty much covered everything. It was a fun hour, though. Really fun. Oh, one thing that I thought they should have included. Yes. Is. Alfred Baldwin, the guy who was the lookout, mm-hmm. the reason that the cops end up like coming and catching the guys on the night of the robbery, which is like the opening scene of the film, he was distracted by watching Attack of the Puppet People on television. Attack of the what? And it's just some horror movie called Attack of the Puppet People. Okay. And since he's distracted by this funny film, that's why this whole thing breaks open. Wow. So it's just one of those like real life funny things mm-hmm. that they could have included in the comedy, but they do a really good job anyway. <laughs> they do a great job. Everybody you should watch this, uh, especially if you're like into, yeah, like the presidency or Watergate. It's just solid, I think. Or Kirsten Dunst. Or Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, I mean. She, or Will Ferrell. I mean, there's, I mean, Will Ferrell has a huge following, right? People are. Oh, people love him. I mean, that's. fans and. Yeah. Uh, where can I, when I realized. This is one of his better performances. I think so. Yeah. When I realized that he was playing Bob Woodward, I was like, you got to be kidding me. We don't talk about this all of the time. Like, <laughs> we don't talk, like, how are we not talking about this more? Um, True. Yeah, just solid. Yeah. And this is like Kirsten Dunn's right before she kind of like moves more solidly into like serious acting. So it's kind of nice to see her in a funnier role uh, before she kind of does like the virgin suicides. And I think she gets Spider-Man shortly after this as well. So yeah, a brief, a brief moment in all of these actors lives and um in our just like watergate was a brief moment in our history <laughs> um <laughs> you had to be there i guess so 
Rivers. I still give it nine out of ten, but I'm biased, obviously. No, I think <laughs> kind of earns it. It's definitely it's a it's fun. It's a fun one. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. And any other thoughts? Any other kind of like send up moments that you think would have been funny to include the movie or? I just wish they'd gotten a freaking Irish setter. I know I don't know why I'm on about this. And also, I just want to point out that Nixon did not just have King Timaho, aka Checkers, in the film, mm. but um, they, uh, his daughters also had dog um, Vicky oh, yeah, and Tasha. Trisha, so they don't make they're they're not really in this movie at all. Are Julie, they? Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't come up at all. Yeah. Surprisingly, it would have been interesting. He references them though. He's like, oh, I had teenage daughters, and all they cared about was this and that. You know, well, I think so. He thinks he knows right. the children because he has. Oh, he like yeah. forgets one of their yeah, names. But then you can't remember he? her name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like Trisha and uh, the other one. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that uh, yeah, would have been interesting. But yeah, so they don't show the other dogs. Yeah. Too bad. No, maybe a summer party between Betsy, Arlene, Trisha, and the other one would have been an interesting addition to the movie. <laughs> um yeah all right but yeah the final sticking point we want accurate dogs um well yeah. rivers thank you so much for coming on it's been so much fun talking about this uh i i think you know you're the first you know you introduced me to this movie um and there's only a handful of people i can talk to about this so but i hope that <laughs> with this podcast that um expands a bit more because it is a one of the funnier like kind of american historical comedies i've seen um Absolutely. Is there anything you would like to let the listeners know about what you're working on or anything you'd like to plug? Well, I will return and plug my book when I finish it, but I did recently co-edit a volume on sports and the presidency that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, recently published by the University of Edinburgh Press. So if you're looking for a really good textbook on sports and the presidency, definitely check it out. Definitely. Uh, Like I kind of mentioned earlier as well, went to a seminar about it. Have not read it, but I'm looking forward to reading it and probing into some of these stories about sports and the American presidency. Uh, President Taft, a bigger part of that than you'd expect. Exactly. Yeah. And Watergate does creep in too. There you go. See what I did there? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If we can't make this stuff up. Um, (laughs) um, And I think with that, I will say thank you once again to Rivers. And that has been our episode on Dick. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at Flashback Histopod. That is at F-L-S-H-B-C-K-H-I-S-T-O-P-O-D. And we will be back again soon to take another look at American history on the silver screen. Until then, goodbye.